Hello and welcome to the KS Podcast, the home of stories, stories of people. Podcasts are a very big passion of mine. Um, I'm inspired by podcasts such as the True Geordie Podcast and most recently the High Performance Podcasts. And that's why I've started my own. Um, this is going to be the home of stories of people where I interview guests from various different uh, walks of life and I really try to find out what makes them tick and how their experiences and their learnings in life have shaped the people that they are and how that then plays a part in what makes them in their own fields in a very relatable way to me and you watching at home elite and how that brings them success and I hope you do enjoy this podcast as much as I enjoy the podcast that I've been inspired by. So whether you're watching this on YouTube or listening to it on Spotify, Anchor or any other podcast platform, please do support by subscribing, following, liking, definitely sharing and of course comment below because your feedback is always appreciated. So without further ado, I hope you enjoyed this episode. See you later. Also, another quick message from me. Hopefully, I will not need to add this into the podcast, but if I do, it's because that the episode that you're watching or listening to was recorded when I just moved into my new flat, so the internet connection may not be great, which means there may be bits of lag in the video or the, the, the audio that you're listening to. So if there is, please hang in there. The quality of the content will shine through, and I promise you it won't last long because hopefully soon, once COVID and things like that are over, I'll be able to do face-to-face -face interviews. But until then, hang in there. And I promise you will enjoy the podcast. The fact that you know that if things get really bad, you've got people to rely on totally, then that gives you an advantage and it allows you to take more risks in life. Whereas I was taking the risks thinking, shit, if this doesn't come off, I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> you know, I never wanted, I never, I never wanted a normal job, basically. I absolutely never wanted that. Um, I did always want to work in radio. It's not just a case that I want this. It's a case that I need this, like... This is, this is all I've told people since I was seven years old. Like, um, I've I literally sit every, every night since I was, since I was that age, the kid, I'm going to bed dreaming about the day that one day I'm going to get up every day and be on the radio. And when I was doing it, I was just notes, making notes, constantly remembering everything. And then at the end of that six months, I started making demos for Capital and they were like, fucking hell, how, how can you, how are you this good? Like, you know what I mean? It's like, we didn't, ex we didn't expect a kid like, to be that good who's not had any training from us and then I literally just said I've been listening to everything I can listen to and that is never the way that I have thought of myself on full-time devils let me tell you that and or on any fan channel and I think this is why people don't this is why some people don't get it they think they might see me say something and they may think he doesn't speak for me I don't. I speak for one person, Gaz Drinkwater. That's who I speak for. Uh, and I remember being at Stoke. Uh, I got dragged behind a coach by some absolute knobhead. Uh, dragged me by the back of my neck. I didn't know what had gone on, like, because he came up behind me as well when I was filming. So I, I literally came up behind me, grabbed me by the neck and just dragged me behind this coach. Like, I'd lost a bit of love for doing fan cams, for example. And like I say, standing there with a camera, like, you know, you're an actual fucking proper reporter. Like I had kind of lost a, a bit of love with, out of it with that. Um, so I was literally just wanting to do studio stuff really. And just wanting to present videos because that was what I actually wanted to do. That's what I am a presenter. If you've got that mentality where you're going in, doing something you enjoy, but you know it could all end the next day, then you're not going to get too low 
if it does end the next day. And you're also not going to get too high when it's going well. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the KS podcast, the home of stories, stories of people. If you come in uh, from the first episode, first of all, thank you for supporting the podcast so far. Um, and today, my second guest, my second guest on the podcast is uh, an old friend of mine. Uh, we've known each other for a fair bit. Uh, joining me today is current BBC Radio Manchester presenter, uh, mostly known for presenting his Talking Ball show. Uh, but you might have seen him on a few fan channels back in the day. Uh, most recognisable from Full Time Devils. He's been on all for United, of course. Joining me today is Mr. Gaz Drinkwater. How are you, mate? Oh, mate, I'm brilliant. Um, what a week that you, you've, you've picked to ask me to do this podcast. Um, I don't think I've been in many, many better moods in terms of being a football fan at the minute. So, mate, I'm buzzing. Yeah, I mean, aren't we all? I mean, the last episode, um, we've done it just after the quarterfinal win. Now we're doing it after a semi-final win, and hopefully I'll get to do one after a final win. So hopefully. it's been good. Um, what's it been like covering it? Because obviously you, you talk about football on a daily basis now, aren't you? Oh mate, it's um, it's it's been a real dream. <clears throat> I'll be honest, I've done a lot of different types of radio in my time, and you know, I've done music radio, and I've I've done commercial radio, and I've obviously and now doing football radio, and it's a football phone in, and I love doing a football phone, and it's great, and especially to do it every day, it's a dream to get that opportunity. Um, but this week in particular, as uh, this month, should I say, has felt particularly special, like. Every single night we've had England fans on, we've had Scottish fans on, Welsh fans on as well, fans of other nations as well, Italians, Dutch, and it's, it, it, I've, I've loved it. It's just been one of those experiences where you're just like, you, you feel a part of it, you know what I mean? And we are all a part of it, every single one of us, whether you're just watching it at home on your telly, you know, it's not about being on the radio or anything like that. Um, so I think that's why it feels so special to everyone, in it? It feels like we're all sort of in this together. It's great. Yeah, we, we will get into that a little bit more later on. Um, but first, the, the first question I'll ask you is, is the first question I ask all my guests. Um, what is the earliest memory that you have um, of what you do? So basically presented, what was your earliest memory of that? Uh, right, specifically, let's talk radio then, because that's what I always wanted to do. Um, I remember when I was a kid, me and my mum in the car on the way to school, because she used to wear, uh, basically me mum, <clears throat> my mum had to go work every day when I was a kid, but got quite a young mum. And uh, my dad wasn't in the house at the time. So he had, so my mum would drop me off at my grandparents for the day, every single day. And obviously we'd get up well early. We'd leave at like half six or something. And we'd have the breakfast shows on in the morning. So I think at that time it was Key 103. Uh, and from what I can remember, the first one that I really kind of remember was JK and Joel uh, ended up working with... Um, Joel as well when I actually made it into radio which was mad uh, but the one that I really remember and sort of thinking and sort of thought to myself wow this is you know I get this I get what the point of this show is I get how people appreciate it I get the humour um, was probably Mike Toulon and uh, Chelsea Norris uh, who were on Key 103 Breakfast for a while uh, when I was a kid and that was like the show that we used to listen to and Chelsea only recently left BBC Radio Manchester as well. She was the breakfast host at BBC Radio Manchester. So, you know, when I got to meet her, it was incredible um, at first. And, you know, uh, we were, I remember we were on a BBC Radio Manchester night out and we both had a, like a bit of a drink and I was telling her all this, like, back in the day, me and my mum used to listen to you all the time. And she literally was just like, ring your mum now, ring your mum. And 
got, got the phone out, rang my mum. I was like, mum, guess who it is? <laughs> it's like, brilliant. <laughs> but um, yeah, so, so that's my earliest memory, mate. And I'd literally, all I've ever wanted to do was be a radio presenter since I was seven, not necessarily talking sports, uh, just being on the radio and just um, that medium. I think it's, it's a very personal sort of medium and I, I, I quite like it really. All right, so we'll dive into that then. What about like what about radio in particular? Do you think sets it apart from other mediums, and why do you think that's the one that screams out to you? Because I think the word personal is the word that I'm going to use. It really does feel like you're having, or oh, this is the way it should be to me as a radio presenter. If I'm on air, I'm having a conversation with one person. When I talk into the microphone, I'm, I'm picturing one person that I'm having a conversation with. I'm not picturing loads and loads of people. It's always, it's like when you're on the radio, it's always like, how are you doing today? Not how are you guys doing today? Because it just makes it less personal. Um, and I think that, yeah, I, th I think it's that. I think it's that sort of connection between the listener and the presenter, which I, I really do like. And whether that's a you know, that can be a, you, you hate this presenter, you know, that that could be something like that. But it's still that sort of, there's a sort of a personal connection and feel like people have opinions about different radio presenters as well. And I just find it interesting and a very normal medium, really, where it, I don't, I was about to say it feels like radio, the point is to have normal people in radio, but I've worked with a lot of people who are definitely not normal people in radio. But for me, the point is, if you're a radio presenter, you, you're not, you're not, um, You've not necessarily got a great a skill. You know what I mean? It's it's not like the most skilled job in the world, like people will say it is. You're just a good a good conversationalist and you can just talk to people. And I think that's what's that's what it's all about. I love chatting to people no matter what the instance is, no matter who it is, no matter where it is. So I think that's just what it is. Basically, mate, I'm a gobshite. Um <laughs> and radio radio works perfectly for me as well, because I've not got the face for TV, so and <laughs> uh I doubt that. Um, so we'll get, get into the, the radio stuff in a bit. Um, but first, I want to go into the, the childhood, the early life part of it. Did, did you have any experience of, of presenting in general or anything like that from, from a young age? Um, so not really, no, because uh, this, is, this is one of the strange things actually about radio. A lot of people in the industry right now will probably have family who were in radio um, before them because obviously it is a relatively older industry, I guess. And you do get quite a bit of nepotism in it as well. Um, I wasn't like that. None of my family wanted to be presenters. All of my family were like bricklayers and stuff like that. And, you know, my mum was a waitress and it was a very working class background, really. So no one really had, I mean, from what I can think, I don't think anyone in my family went to university. Now, fair enough, neither did I. <laughs> but, but it's like, it, 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 no one really had that sort of, felt like no one really had that higher aspiration I guess but um it's all changed a lot now me and my brothers are you know especially my brother Henry he's, he's wanting to get into radio now I'm wanting to make something really big of himself but yeah um I think our family were very much a sort of if we weren't a very I don't, I, what's the word I'm looking for here we weren't a very um uh, we weren't attention seeking, you know what I mean? It was very much keep your head down, get the work done, you know, don't don't draw attention to yourself too much. If, you know, if you see something kicking off, try and avoid it. Whereas I've sort of been the dark sheep of the family in that sense where I'm loud, I'm gobby, I'll say something if I don't think it's right. And if I don't think I'm being treated right, I'll say it as well. But at the same time, I've still got that work ethic that I had. 
that I got from that family. But yeah, it, it's weird, mate. There was no one really pushing me into it. There wasn't really a moment. There wasn't really anyone in school, really, that was pushing me into it. In fact, most of my teachers told me it was an unrealistic um, job to try and get one day, which, you know, I'm sure a lot of people have heard. Uh, told me to be a counsellor instead, weirdly enough. Imagine me as a counsellor. I know. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know where it came from, mate. No, no, that's fair enough. Um, I wanted to talk about that family dynamic as well, from a family that sort of, as you mentioned, is sort of low-key. They don't want to, you know, try and upset them. The car almost. And how did you find growing growing up in that? Because obviously you said you're very different. Did that almost hold you back at any point, saying, "Oh, don't don't go too far," because you know we're like this. We don't want you to think you can be any bigger. Or was it always a, a freedom? Well, it, it it comes from a good place with my family. Like it doesn't come from a bad place at all. Like um, I, I like I I remember you know it, it was it was they were very worried obviously about me when I was. Um, interning at radio stations and I wasn't getting paid and I wasn't earning any money and I was going to do radio shows once a week at um, a community radio station and wasn't getting paid for it and I was I was insistent like this this will work one day this will come off at some point um, and obviously they were worried about me because they're aware and I'm very aware that there are financial constraints in life and unfortunately if you don't make any money in your life and you know you've not got that wealthy family behind you who have always got your back if you actually do fall um then it can be a real struggle for you but uh, you know they did absolutely though that, that that's not to say that they discouraged me from from doing what I wanted to do because of the sort of how confidently I put it across to them but yeah there were definitely worries I think and you know, maybe at times that did sort of seep into my thinking slightly. Um, maybe there were certain times over the last few years that maybe I didn't handle rejection as well as I could have done. And, you know, I get I get, I get, get one radio station saying no to me and I'm like, oh, no, now what am I going to do? I'm going to need a job on a building site. Oh, fucking hell. Um, and when, when that's not the case. Um, and maybe if I had a sort of wealthy family behind me, where I know that I can not have a job for six months and still get by, then I wouldn't have had to worry too much. But I do think that is a real advantage because a lot of people say, you know, like, um, and I'm not slagging people off, by the way, who are in this position. It's not people's fault how much bloody money their parents have. It's not at all. But if you've got a family with that have a lot of money just to, to, to use to back you up in an emergency, even if they're not like giving you that, and even if you've worked for everything you've got and they're not just giving you money and giving you help every single day, the fact that you know that if things get really bad, you've got people to rely on totally, then that gives you an advantage and it allows you to take more risks in life. Whereas I was taking the risks thinking, shit, if this doesn't come off, I don't know what I'm gonna do, um, but mate, yeah, it, it worked out in the end, I guess. But yeah, it's a it's a weird sort of background. Do you think? Do you think that risk actually almost drove you on a lot more? Whereas, like, maybe someone who had that backup option would go, "Oh, well, if this doesn't work out, oh, it's okay." For you, if if it didn't work out, you have nothing, so you've got to make sure it works. Did you almost feel that? Yeah, that's that's spot on, actually. Yeah, I didn't really think of it like that, but I think you're absolutely right there. I think it was, um, uh, you know, I never wanted, I never, I never wanted a normal job. Basically, absolutely never wanted that. Um, I did always want to work in radio, uh, but obviously the industry has changed a hell of a lot in the last fifteen years. So there were 
times when I sort of had to accept that, okay, maybe this isn't my fault that it's not quite working out at this point. And it wasn't either. Now I look back, it was nothing to do with, you know, how bad or good I was as a presenter. But yeah, absolutely. I think that mentality of it's not just a case that I want this. It's a case that I need this. Like this is, this is all I've told people since I was seven years old. Like um, I've I literally sit every, every night since I was, since I was that age, the kid, I'm going to bed dreaming about the day that one day I'm going to get up every day and be on the radio. And I never had aspirations of like, obviously, well, I mean, you do like, you know, you want to be on radio one, one day, you want to be doing the biggest shows to the most people. But for me as a kid, it was never like, I'm going to, I'm going to be the most famous radio presenter in the world. It was, I'm going to talk to people every day for a living and that's that that's it that's all I want I don't want to be rich I don't necessarily want to be famous I just want to be able to do that job and um I'm definitely not rich and I'm definitely not famous but I am doing that job so I'm an happy boy at the minute fair enough fair enough and I think that all that almost it's a powerful driving force that not having a back backup plan I think that's that's a big big thing um so you've 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 talked about when you started getting your interest you had the dream of going into radio when when did you first start doing your internships? Uh, what was that experience like? Oh, mate, it's mad, this. Um, so, oh, mate, right, so I'm trying to like, think back when it started. Like, So my first internship was um, at XFM, uh, back when XFM was a thing. And uh, literally at this point, I had I'd been doing community radio, where it's just a, a radio station near mine called Salford City Radio. Uh, I'd go there every Monday afternoon. I think it was Monday at... One day at 4 p.m., I think it was, uh, and I literally just used to do a show for an hour. I'd bring in the songs on a CD that I'd burned the night before. The amount of times that CD skipped or the amount of times I'd be like, <laughs> right, um, uh, <laughs> and now here's the new, ch- it, is, it is a classic from Star Sailor, Eminem starts playing. I'm like, fucking hell, now what? <laughs> oh, the amount of times I didn't take swear words out and stuff like that. Oh, it was terrible. This is why I don't produce my own shows anymore. You know what I mean? Um, but uh, yeah, so it started from like, I did, I'd done community radio for ages. I was also, I did an internet radio station F, for FC United of Manchester. They have a little internet radio station. So I did that for a couple of years. And then literally I was like, right, I'm 18 now. I need an internship. I need to get into one of the, you know, one of the big stations and sort of like try and weasel my way in, try and make brews for everyone and just say yes to everything. And uh, I was sending all the emails off and, you know, naturally you're sending emails off it's like you're a faceless nobody that there's every chance that they're going to say no to you especially since I hadn't been university um obviously I was 18 I wasn't planning on going either um and I literally got to the point where I was like this ain't this ain't working I've been doing this four months no one's replying to my emails so I got my cv and my covering letter literally just in a big envelope and then I put a cd in the envelope a cd with my demo on, the Gaz Drinkwater demo written on the front of it. And I turned up to the door of XFM and they're like a big indie music station. So Fred Perry, mod haircut, full Gallagher, knocked on the door like, <laughs> right, lads, my name's Gaz. Does anyone here have anything for me? I will do anything, anything. <laughs> uh, luckily, one of the producers, uh, a, a bloke called Sam Davis, he came to the door and he was fucking mint fucking min anyone could have come to that door and anyone could have come to that door and said all right i'll take that off you never listen to it ever and that's it nothing ever happens but he came to the door he took it off me he recognized the initiative i think um and he said right come in have a sit down and i started chatting to him about music 
Um, you know, I'm a big fan of the music they play on XFM, so it was perfect for me. And I think at that age as well, there weren't many 18-year-olds who were into the sort of tunes or had the sort of depth of knowledge, I guess, about the tunes as I did at that time. Forgotten half of it now. Um, and he literally brought me into the studio. Fucking Clint Boone comes in the studio. Clint Boone, someone I'd been listening to for years, like an idol of mine. Never met him in my life. I'm shaking like a shitting dog when he walks in. Um, but got on with him. Got a three-month internship. Ended up staying for about six, seven months um, just because I refused to leave. Uh, and then I, <laughs> I started doing uh, little bits for Capital, little bits for Heart, because uh, they're all in the same building, they're owned by Global. Um, and uh, managed to get like little office jobs. You know what I mean? Like there was, there was, there was a job that needed doing. Like I remember hearing someone discussing in the office, like, oh, we need to, because basically on the radio, on commercial radio, you'll often hear a radio presenter like, for example, when I was there, they'd talk about Netflix a lot. And you'd think, oh, yeah, they're really into Netflix. Nah, 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 nah. They're paid to talk about Netflix. <laughs> so, right. so like, basically what they have to do is they have, someone has to go through all of the drive time shows on the what it was about 10 different capital stations and uh, edit out, just, just grab the bit where they're talking about Netflix and send that to Netflix to prove that we're doing it. So that was my job. That was my job, basically, that I offered to do. Um, shit money, but the job meant that I listened to every single link of every single Capital Drive Time show for six months. And when I was doing it, I was just notes, making notes, constantly remembering everything. And then at the end of that six months, I started making demos for Capital, and they were like, fucking hell how, how, how can you how are you this good like you know what i mean it's like we didn't ex we didn't expect a kid like to be that good who's not had any training from us and then i literally just said i've been listening to everything i can listen to um and then yeah from there i got called into the capital office one day after i'd been having meetings with the boss like every day for about eight months fucking dying to get on air and he just took me in one night and he said right tomorrow night 1 a.m till 6 a.m you're on and i was like uh, oh, okay, okay, all right, all right. Let, let's see how this goes, and all went okay. Fair enough. Crazy. Um, so, stress notes did you make when you were listening to them shows? Oh, mate. Uh, so, things like the length of the links, that was always a massive surprise to me, especially when I started on Capital, because in Capital, Capital is very, very different. Um, it's short, snappy links. Um, I don't think I ever did a link longer than a minute on Capital, which is mad. Like genuinely in an hour, I think on a Capital show, I think I spoke for a total of like two minutes 30, which which is which is mad. But there is a skill in getting getting just a, some of your personality into a five second link. <laughs> like it's, it is a skill that you learn over time. So stuff like that, basically, like what is the sort of content that they're talking about? What is the sort of language that's being used on this station. Where is an important thing for me to remember as well? Where is the line? Like, what can I get away with? <laughs> and and because that that's just me. And I, I, I'm not I'm not like trying to give the big in here. Like, oh, I'm some edgy presenter. You can't control me. It's not the case at all. But I like being cheeky. I'm a cheeky presenter. You know what I mean? And I do like to push it up to that line. I don't like to cross it, but I like to push it. So just little things like that, really, mate. It's like the sort of um, the technical side of radio, I guess. Yeah, fair enough. Um, do you have any advice for people who are listening? Maybe maybe they want to go into radio, maybe any industry. Don't. And they... 
Don't. That's my advice. Don't. There's no money left. Stay away. Stay away from my fucking jobs. Oh bloody hell! Um, no, I meant in terms of sort of going through internships. They're not getting paid. They're sort of they keep going and the experience, but they're not really going anywhere. Do you have any advice for these people and and how to sort of find a way into the industries that they're trying to get into? It's really hard, honestly. It's really hard, and this is what we were saying before about needing it and wanting it. Um, the difference between the two. You've got to believe. 100% that you're going to do it. Like You've got this goal. You've just got to believe 100% this is going to happen. Don't be thinking this is going to happen in the next year. This is going to happen in the next two years, three years. Just don't, forget about that. Don't put time constraints on it. Just know in your head that you're going to do it. Um, and don't blame other people for, for the fact that you're not in the position that you're in might be someone else's fault. It might be. You might have been treated unfairly. The amount of times at Capital where I was better than another presenter, but the other presenter got the gig because, oh, they've got a famous dad. Oh, they've got a famous brother. Oh, well, his uncle works in the office. That happened all the fucking time. And it drove me insane at the time. But you can't be blaming other people. It's You've just got to say, right, well, I've got to work twice as hard as you then. That's it. That's just how it is. And you just got to grin and bear it. And and basically, right, it's a phrase that isn't said enough anymore in the year 2021. But it's a phrase that I heard all the time growing up. Tough titties, right? Just <laughs> tough titties. Like, say, like, like when I was a kid to me, mum would be like, mum, can I have this massive chocolate bar from the shop? No. Why? Tough titties, that's why. And it's like, <laughs> that, that's just life. Sometimes things are going to go wrong for you in life. And there's nothing, it's not your fault. It's someone else's fault, but you can't blame them. You've just got to get on with it, pat yourself down and smash it. No, to be fair, it's, it's interesting because Alan in the previous episode, he said something very similar, which was when something goes wrong, you've just got to pick yourself up, learn from it and move on. That's 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 the phrase he used. And, and it's interesting that you've used a similar phrase there where it's just, you've just got to deal with it and carry on. Um, so it, it's, it's nice to see that people are, are portraying the same image. Um, Right, so it would, there'd be no point in interviewing you if I didn't ask you. So, fantastic, full-time, how did you get into it? Talk us through that. So, uh, if I remember correctly about full-time devils, um, I, think I, I think I just came across them on YouTube in the early days, like, oh, I can't even remember when it must have been. It must have been, like, the start of Moyes or the end of Fergie. I, I can't really remember put a date on it properly. No, it, no, it must have been the start of Moyes. It must have been. Um, and, I, and I just saw them and I was like, oh, fucking, I want to be a presenter. You know what I mean? I've never done this sort of thing before. This would be fun to try out. I mean, I'm a United fan, you know what I mean? And this is a fan channel for fans. It's it, This sounds perfect. And they all seem like normal lads on it, which they absolutely, obviously, were, are, were. Um, and yeah, just sent a message saying, oh, can I... And I join in and they got me on a video. I think it was a, a guy called Alan. Um, a guy called Alan got me on like a little Skype call before and just to check that I was a United fan, like I think, just to check that it wasn't just some mug. Um, and yeah, I just went from there, mate, really. Just I was on previews and then after a few years, I guess they needed someone to host the previews. Uh, sorry, I'm having a coffee indigestion um and i was like yeah 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 i'll do it i'll do it I i'm up for it um and it just went from there I literally just 
saying yes to everything. Like this is what this, this is what I mean. And you know, obviously, you know, didn't take up too much of my time. So I absolutely loved it when I was younger. It was meant. Yeah. So what was it like at the very start? Because we know what it grew into. Um, and obviously now it's it's Stratford Paddock. But what was it like at the very start when you joined? When you joined and you were part, it would it would grow into anything, or did you just see it as a bit of fun? Oh yeah, I just I just saw it as a bit of fun. Absolutely, I didn't 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 ever see it growing into anything, and you didn't really want it. To, you didn't not not you didn't want it to grow into anything. It's just you didn't. Um, you weren't you weren't even thinking about that. Like genuinely, it's like this is this is what I do feel like has changed. Um, about the whole dynamic of fan channels and it, how it's become almost like a dirty phrase now. It's because a lot of people on fan channels don't, they don't know what being a fan is all about. They think that by being on a fan channel, and which is ridiculous, by being on a fan channel on YouTube, that like you know more than the average fan or or you're in some way better than the average fan. And that's absolutely not the case. Like it's a fan channel. You know what I mean? Like every single opinion is allowed. It's it's like a fanzine back in the day. You know what I mean? I, yeah. I, I really don't get a load of the sort of political complications that have sort of come with it. But it has almost become really embarrassing and really cringy that a lot of people who, who work for fan channels don't really see themselves as fans. They see themselves almost as as voices for the fans. That's absolutely bollocks. And that is never the way that I have thought of myself on Full Time Devils, let me tell you that, and or on any fan channel. And I think this is why people don't, this is why some people don't get it. They think, they might see me say something and they may think, he doesn't speak for me. I don't. I speak for one person, Gaz Drinkwater. That's who I speak for. You don't like my opinion? Let's have a chat. Let's have a conversation. But I would never shout someone down or tell someone they're a fucking idiot or, you know, really brutally, you know, make someone feel small because of their opinion about football. If I'm in the pub with my mates and we're arguing about football, that's all we're doing. We're mates arguing about football. And yeah, I might say, shut up, you prick, or, you know, you're chatting shit, you. <laughs> but I'm never going to be like, oh, well, I I I know yeah well I I know more about United because look how many more views I've got I'd get laughed out of the pub it's embarrassing it's humiliating it's really cringy mate No I agree and I think at the minute fan channels and obviously I'm I'm part of one but I think fan channels in general they're sort of going away from what they should be like when I used to watch Full Time Devils back in India I loved it because it was just a bunch of guys that are mates and they're just talking about football. They're talking about United and it was just fun to watch. I used to have a laugh watching it. Now it's almost sort of like they have to have a certain standard of, of videos that they're making and mm. they've got to make money this or they've got to they've got to get a certain number of views. And I'm like, that's not what it's about. Yeah. Or they're trying to yeah. make it almost an inner circle of people that could be on that channel. And I'm like, I don't like that. That's not what it was. And do you think that's sort of what the problem is and why people are reacting differently to it? Yeah, absolutely. But at the same time, I understand why they're doing it. Like, I, I'm, I'm going to be straight up. I don't watch a lot of fan channel content at the moment. Um, and, I, I, you know, I don't want to, you know, I'm not casting aspersions on any fan channel in particular here, I promise. Um, but I can totally understand why the people running these fan channels now have to change things in a way that makes them 
you know, financially viable as well as a channel, because at the end of the day, you want to have fans who are willing to sort of give up the time to to come on the channel. And you can't really ask that of normal working people if, you, if you're not going to, you know, pay them a little bit, I guess. So I sort of guess, I, I get why fan channels are doing that. But unfortunately for me, it is affecting the quality or not, no, not the quality. The quality's gone up, but the the realness of it i feel like has gone a little bit and the the genuineness of it has gone a little bit and as you say yeah it's not just a case of a load of lads getting together and chatting about the football it's a case of load of lads getting together and thinking you know how can i how can we make this how can how can we make more people want to watch this whereas when i was on it i was never even thinking about that really i was never even asked about like how many people watched it at the time it was just a bit of fun and yeah I think that's where it's changed mate but you know I, I I'm, I'm in a lucky position really because I guess you know I do a radio show and it's it's important how many people listen to our radio show and you know absolutely we're always you know wanting to get more listeners into it but I've never felt at any point like I've been anything other than genuine on my show I've, and it's not like talk I'm going to just give an example here, for example. I think a lot of people would say that TalkSport at times sounds relatively contrived and it does feel like, you know, one presenter has been assigned this opinion, another presenter has been assigned this opinion. Argue. Our show's just gen always been genuine. We have a United fan, me, and there's a City fan who hosts the show. And we, we, if we agree, we agree. If we don't, we don't. People call in, we agree, we agree. We don't, we don't. And that's just the way we do it. Nothing too contrived, nothing too over the top. And just feels a little bit more natural yeah and, and to be honest that's that's the position where i wanted to come into fan channels because i i originally went to do fan cams because i liked the people that were part of that channel and i wanted to go and join that that dynamic and now suddenly it's sort of changing it's it sort of put me off which is why i'm part of the channel that i'm part of now because i feel like it's a little bit more jovial yeah, almost, but that's another discussion. And um, so, full time devils, then you, you're part of full time devils, you become a presenter. Are there any stories from that time that you could tell us that just you know that shaped you into going towards where you are now? Is there any stories like that? Oh, yeah, mate, loads. Uh, right, so, uh, um, mate, that, like, because obviously, when you're doing fan cams and stuff, obviously, I guess you're um putting yourself in a position, and you know, when I look back to it as well, when I look back to it, there is something. How do I put this? There is something a little bit icky about standing outside Old Trafford with a camera, a big light and a microphone. There is something a little bit holier than thou about that. And I've been I've done this many a time, by the way. And, you know, maybe I'll do it as a reporter for the BBC at some point. But that's a different thing. That's when I'm actually working as a reporter and my job is to get fans' opinions. This is, you're a fan. Um, and I almost, when I look back, maybe the videos wouldn't have done as good if this was the case. And no, and but I just want to, firstly, just want to say Adam McCullough is one of the most brilliant, fucking most talented, honest people on YouTube. And I fucking love that guy and everything he's done. He's smashed, he's mint. Um, but maybe fan cams fan channels would have worked a lot better if there was no presenter and it was the fan himself holding the microphone in front of the camera 
And that would have made it feel more like a fan channel rather than we've got this celebrity celebrity interviewing the fans. You know what I mean? So like when, when I was stood there outside the ground, stood there with mm. my microphone and my camera whenever I did it, I did sort of feel like a target. And in a way, it's understandable, I guess, because if you're a normal bloke, you're just walking out thinking, who does this twat think he is? That's what I would have thought when I was 16, if I walked past a microphone and a camera at the game. Um, and I remember being at Stoke. Uh, I got dragged behind a coach by some absolute knobhead, uh, dragged me by the back of my neck. I didn't know what had gone on, like because he came up behind me as well when I was filming. So I, he literally came up behind me, grabbed me by the neck and just dragged me behind this coach. Didn't know what was going on. And I just like remember like fucking looking up, thinking, I've been fucking stabbed or something. What's going on? Uh, and I just saw this bloke and a few running away and the police running towards. And I was like, what's going on? I don't even know what's going on there. And um, the policeman was like, do you, want, do, do you want us to get him? Do you want us to arrest him? Like, fucking no, leave it. It's bollocks. I'm not hurt. I'm fine. Leave it. Um, but I've had a few like that. I remember at Arsenal, a game that we lost as well. I got just fucking shoved from behind. Um, not too long ago, you may have seen, you know, on Twitter, I, I sort of made a big deal when maybe I didn't need to, but I was, this, this one, this one actually annoyed me a little bit. This one annoyed me more than anything, um, because I was actually doing some work for Norwegian TV. I've got a mate who, who isn't a presenter for Norwegian TV. I mean, an actual, you know, new, a news presenter, sports presenter. And he was chatting to me outside Old Trafford and some lad just took it upon himself to, you know, cycle past some fucking scally. Uh, cycle past, uh, obviously he didn't have much on his plate at that time, much to do. Um, and he just stopped and started hurling the worst fucking abuse that you can get, really. While I'm there on camera, filmed it, he put it on Twitter and tried to make me look a bit of a knob, really. And when you're in a professional setting like I was then, because like I say, this wasn't fan channels, this was actually working, it really makes you feel uncomfortable, that. It really does make you feel uncomfortable, and it's an horrible feeling to get that while you're at work. And no doubt he wouldn't like that if someone did that to him when he's at work, but let's face it, he doesn't have a fucking job. Um, so, <laughs> it, you know, it, that wasn't a nice situation, and stuff like that I really didn't like. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that stuff like that has, has put me off slightly, but there's also a lot of politics within the channels where I'm like, do I really want to be associated with you, you and you? Probably not really. So, you well, know. Yeah, we won't get to that because that's the topic. Um, no, it, you've spoken about those experiences. So when those things happen, did you ever, after that, so before you'd, you'd gone into radio, when, when you were doing these things, um, did you ever feel, oh, I don't really want to put myself in that situation again because of that bad thing that happened? Or did you think, no, nah, whatever, I'll do it again? What did you feel after those things? Oh, no, it, it, it was it was very much like, you know, fuck that. And, you know, fuck that. And they're, they're the knobhead here. They, they look like the knobhead. They've come across the knobhead. And they are the knobheads as well, by the way, like these people who do this. They're, they're not in any way justified. Um, you know, they are bellends. I've had people come up to me and, you know, uh, be racist about people I know in front of me to try and get a reaction out of me, which is mad. <laughs> it's mad because I'm there like, I'm there like fuming and I'm like, fucking, why, how have you managed to make me fume? I'm fucking white. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm fuming. But it's, oh, it's mad, mate. It's mad. Um, so shit like that really did get you down a little bit at times, but I guess at the end you, you get you get for every negative instance that happens, there's about 
99 positive things that happen and 99 people will drop you a message saying i absolutely love what you do you're great and stuff like that so um yeah i, I yeah I, I, I like i say you've got to sort of take the rough with the smooth a little bit but there were times especially when i got a little bit older like like when i when i was like you know 21 22 I was sort of like, do I really want to be standing outside football grounds getting fucking dogs abuse much longer? Not really, not really. For, you know, even though loads of people loved it. So, you know, there were some great moments, mate. I, like, like I say, it was overwhelmingly more positive than negative. Yeah, and um, obviously that came with its own profile and probably that's where all this has come from. So how did you, how did you deal with that? It's, it's not fame, but it is in a way because a lot of people know your face. You're putting yourself out there so people know who you are. How was it dealing with that sort of thing? Um, I love that side of it. Like, I, I, th I do still think it's the case, to be honest. Like, and I, you know, I don't, fame ain't the right word, is it? I guess no notoriety, if that's how you say that word. I'm struggle with that word. Um, I, I think that that is a, I think that's more the, the, the case. It's a better word for it. But like, I, I go out in town and I'll get, I'll get, shouted all the time not not bad stuff recognized in a positive way all the time and especially doing this show now radio manchester a lot of city fans recognize me but they actually you know get on with me it's not like who's this twat from the united channel city fan will come up to me and sales will be like oh i disagree with what you said on the radio the other day and I, I i love it so much more now it's so much nicer now when i get actually spotted and it's not people like uh I, I don't. I don't know why. I think. I think people feel more comfortable now in front of me, I, and I don't know what it is. I think that maybe when they see you as like a YouTuber, they see you as as you know just some kid who makes videos in his bedroom. So sometimes, like I remember when when full when full time devils was you know really in it pomp. I remember just a little example there. I, I remember I was in the gym, and uh, some kid like took a picture of me in the gym. And put it on Twitter, not not like in the changing rooms or out like that. Like I was on one of the machines or something, and he just put the picture on Twitter. And I remember like DMing him, like, "Mate, that's really out of order. That like you you can't be doing stuff like that. Like that. This is quite clearly a sort of private almost moment. If I'm at the gym, I don't really want it posted on social media. And he was, you know, dead apologetic about it. Whereas now, I think you'd have less people likely to do that. People will just come up to me and say hello and get a picture, which is I fucking love. I, I love that. It's so nice. It, it makes me feel so good. And that makes it all worth it, to be honest, that someone will come up to you and be like, and I've heard from people who've like said, oh, you know, I was going for a really shit time and listen to your channel every day and your podcast every day. And it got me through it. And that's lovely. And, you know, United fans from abroad who maybe don't have uh, other friends who are United fans, maybe, and they watch Full Time Devil or they did watch Full Time Devils or watch me um, because they felt like we were their mate to watch United with and to discuss United with. That's fucking beautiful. And that's what it's about for me. Yeah, speaking of taking a pic, that just reminds me that, that, I don't know if you remember, I think it was after a game and I was standing outside next to you to go do a fan camp. And this guy who called um, from India to watch the game came next to us and he came up to me first and he went, I follow you on Twitter. And I went, no, you don't. And he went, yeah, I do. And then he went, he went, can I take a picture with you? And I'm like, I'm stood next to Gaz Drinkwater here. What are you doing? <laughs> do you remember that? I'm the fuck it. I'd rather get a picture with Karthik. <laughs> do you remember that though? That was, I found that really crazy. Like it, it doesn't even have to be someone who's on there a lot. It was just, I'd been on there for like twice and, and they'd already recognized me off there. So just imagine what kind of pro. 
Oh, mate, that's lovely. That's like your deal, mate. Um, so we've gone through the the, the fan the the fan channel stuff. Um, so how did that sort of time end? Like, where did you decide? Okay, I've got. Was it because an opportunity came, or was it? Oh, I need to start looking for something different. How did that time end? Um. So yeah, yeah, it's sort of in the in the last year that Full Time Devils was about. Um, I'd I'd lost a bit of love for certain things about it, like um, like I'd lost a bit of love for doing fan cams, for example, and like I say, standing there with a camera, like you know, you're an actual fucking proper reporter. Like I had kind of lost a, a bit of love with, out of it with that. Um, so I was literally just wanting to do studio stuff, really. And just wanting to present videos because that was what I actually wanted to do. That's what I am—a presenter. And I'm not a pundit. You know what I mean? It felt like it felt like very much like when they were getting fans on those channels, the fans who were coming on weren't talking like fans anymore. They were talking like they were fucking Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher. And I was like, this ain't this ain't normal. This ain't how normal people talk in the pub. Normal people in the pub don't argue about little things like you know. A specific a tactical analysis it just didn't feel normal to me um so it went off basically full-time devils obviously changed into the stretford paddock um due to the sort of i don't know the owners of the channel i don't really know what went on to be honest um but yeah when when the guys went and set stretford paddock up as a thing i wasn't involved in that um, little circle of people that set up Stretford Paddock, and I don't know how it works. By the way, I mates with a few, with most of them, um, but I don't know how it works in terms of like, do they all own it? I don't know, maybe. Um, uh, but yeah, I wasn't in that inner circle at first, really. So I, I knew for a fact that if the and also at this point, I'm a professional presenter. You know what I mean? That's why it's like when I when I host videos, I am a presenter. So I kind of. Not, I don't, don't even ask saying it. I won't get paid. <laughs> if I'm going to present a video that's going to take up quite a lot of my time and I'm using my skill, you know, I would want to get paid. And let's, I knew that when Stratford Paddock first set up, they're not going to have the money to pay people like that, which is totally understandable. Um, so I kind of accepted that, right, maybe they'll just ask me to do like little guest appearances, you know, appearances where there's no money involved. And I'm absolutely well up for that. Jay's text me, you know, loads of times trying to get me into the studio over the last few weeks. Um, so as soon as I'm free, I'll go on as a guest and stuff and I love it. But, you know, I don't have the time to to dedicate regularly to that because, um, I mean, just doing a football phone-in once, once a day, that it kind of fries your brain a little bit and you are a little bit like, footballed out <laughs> so i don't know how much more of it i could cope with to be fair no fair enough and i think if you if you do end up uh going back on a guest i'm pretty sure that will that will break the internet because i think a lot of people are waiting for that i'm not gonna lie um right so we, you've left you've left the fan channel scene you you've just entered radio first up how did that opportunity at bbc radio manchester come up because that is a that's a big gig it's a massive gig, mate. It's a, you know what? It's a massive gig, and, and it's like someone wrote a gig for me. It, it, that's what was crazy about it. Um, so, like I say, I, I've, I've been in radio all my life. Like when I was on Full Time Devils in the early days, I was on. I was doing you know Capital, and I've been on fucking loads of different radio stations, like over twenty, I think. Um, and I was sort of like a, a freelance radio presenter, so I was basically a, a gob for hire. Um, I'd be all over the country doing shows for whoever want, whoever needed a show doing. Um, but I, I got my sort of first 
prop for my first daytime gig was at a radio station called Fix Radio, which was a radio station for builders in Manchester. Mental idea, didn't really take off. Not really a massive surprise, but I, I had that. They gave they gave me a six month contract, um, and I only lasted four months because they ran out of money. Uh, so I was like, right, well, you've run out of money. Fucking great. Okay, um, whatever. Uh, and I needed a job. And and I, at this point in my life, I had a house. I, I I owned a house that I needed. I was I had a mortgage to pay. I had you know I had bills to pay. I had to put food on the table. So I was like, right, well, I need to work doing something. Um, and I ended up working <laughs> delivering bacon butties to building sites. So this was from like in I want to say 2019 actually. So not that long ago. So this this is how it can happen, kids. Right? <laughs> it can all be going great. It can all look mint, and then everything can just go like that instantly. So April 2019, I had this I had to get this crap job. Uh, I did it for a month, and I remember being on a building site one day. And I just got a phone call from Kate Squire. I didn't know who Kate Squire was at the time. And she was like, I, I, uh, is that Gaz? I was like, yeah. It's like, it's Kate Squire from uh, BBC Radio Manchester. I was like, oh, God, they're going to ask me to be a guest, aren't they? And they're not going to pay me. And all right, here we go. Um, and she went, we've got a new football show starting up. Do you want to uh, meet up at Manchester International Festival tomorrow and we can have a chat about it? I was like, fucking right. Okay. Wow. Um and then, yeah, I went for a meeting and she went, look, we're setting up a football show where we have a United fan, and I mean fan, and City fan, and you're just going to argue with each other for an hour. I was like, what? You're asking me to do it? Be the United fan? They were like, yeah. I was like, this is incredible. This is actually incredible. Um, and it was just a perfect gig for, for my background, mate, because I've got the background in radio and the background in, um, I guess, fan content. It was just right up my street, um, and mate, I've absolutely loved it. Like genuinely, it's it's a it's a great place to be, and it's proper dream come true shit for me personally. Like, you know, there'll be plenty of people who will be like, you know, that's that's a low aspiration. That you know, just uh, Radio Manchester, BBC local radio. There's so much higher you can go, and there is so much higher I can go. But at the minute, I'm really really content, and it's a really nice position to be in. But I could get sacked tomorrow. It could happen. So you never know. <laughs> No, it could. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, as, no, as good as it seems, as good as it seems, anything can go wrong in radio tomorrow. I could get told tonight it's my last show. And that's the mentality I have. So it's like, just enjoy it while you've got it. It's funny that you mentioned that's your mentality where you could go, anything could go wrong at any minute. Do you think, because we discussed earlier that having no backup, um, do you think that it comes from that a little bit? Yeah, maybe. Um, and it, it is, well, it is, uh, yeah, I do think it is that. I think it's a very working class attitude, really, that you are constantly expecting the worst and you're constantly expecting things to go around. Or, or not expecting, sorry, but you're constantly planning for the worst because you've got to, um, especially if you've had, you know, a life like mine where so many unexpected, horrible shit has happened, like, randomly when you just, you know, you could never expect it. You could never be warned for it. Um, you, you kind of do have that mentality, and you've 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 always got to because I I think that that if you've got that mentality where you're going in doing something you enjoy, but you know it could all end the next day, then you're not going to get too low 
if it does end the next day. And you're also not going to get too high when it's going well, because there is a balance. You can't disappear up your own ass when things go well. And by the way, I have been guilty of doing that in the past. Like when I've like first gone on to capital or something, I must have been like, I've done it. I've, my dreams have all come true. I'm on fucking Capital Radio Center. Check me out. Uh, and it's like, you can't get too high. You just can't. And you can't get too low either. So it's sort of like, I think that that attitude keeps you grounded a little bit. Oh, that's pretty good. It's, it's almost like the power of planning for the worst. And I, I like that idea. Um, so talk to me about what, what BBC working at BBC is like what is that culture like in there and was there anything that you had to adapt to almost when you first went in total opposite of adapting me mate I did the total opposite <laughs> of adapting I walked in that BBC office right and uh it was me and um me and Kyle Walker obviously who, who did the show at the time and <laughs> it did feel like me and Kyle were a little bit different from most of the other people in the office you know maybe a little bit more younger a little bit I mean, I'm not, you know, everyone in my office is very outgoing, but it was quite clear that we were quite different in our backgrounds to quite a few people. And, you know, when I realised that everyone in the office was, you know, dressing up smart every day and everyone was, you know, looking clean and pristine, tracky bottoms, football top every single day for me, <laughs> not arse, mate. I want people to know what's what when I arrive in that building or I did do anyway. Um, so I used to do, I did that for a while, to be honest. And yeah, I, I, I come in the office and I like to be like quite boisterous, quite loud and sort of the guy who, who brings everyone up a little bit. And that's kind of like, I don't know. That's just, that's just what I like out of that environment. But it's it, I, I I love it. I do. I really do love that environment of the BBC. I know that there there are obviously criticisms that you can have about it, and absolutely about the BBC as as a whole and maybe a bigger organisation. But if I, all I can do is talk about my experience with just the Radio Manchester people, and Radio Manchester is a great place to be. Great place to be um, with some really good people working there as well. No, brilliant stuff. Uh, I, I do right, find so it quite so funny. So sorry, I just need to tell the director general of the BBC to lower that gun from my head now. There, right, I've said it. Fuck off. Right. Uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm sure you won't get into any trouble now. Uh, no, I do find it interesting though that you know you mentioned that in your family you were sort of different, and now in the BBC you're sort of just going by your own way. Is that something you can't do that you don't want to just be part of a crowd and you want to almost stand out? Yeah, bit of a contrarian, aren't I? I think that's what it is. People do say that to me sometimes. Like someone, someone I was chatting to recently was just like, you ever notice that you disagree with everything I say? <laughs> I was like, do I? And they're like, yeah, why, why are you such an argumentative prick? I'm just like, I don't know. But it's, it's, all, it's all like in a nice way, you know what I mean? But... um. I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know why that is. I guess I just like, I, I don't know. I like to stand out a little bit. I don't like to be, you know, you know, in, in, in too, blending in too much into the crowd. But, you know, at the same time, I also don't want to be a look at me twat. Um, but I, 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 like to, I like to think I'm toeing the middle line. But I, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. <laughs> that, that's up to other people to decide. So, yeah, maybe you think I'm a contrarian bastard. I feel I feel like I'm almost helping you rediscover yourself here. We're, we're discovering different angles of yourself. This this is like a therapy session. This <laughs> like, I love it. It's brilliant. Um, so you, you mentioned you're on your your football show. You, you're basically doing what you were doing before. You're talking about football. You, you're just being a fan. Um, 
So what are sort of the differences and also the similarities of that between what were you doing on fan media and talking about football on the radio? What's what's like what's the difference? Um, so obviously there's sort of legal things which uh, are very important, and when you start at the BBC, you've got to do hours and hours of legal training just so you actually know what you can and can't say. Um, that's a big difference, uh, obviously, in terms of not being able to swear on air. Other than that, though, it's very, very similar for me. It feels very, very similar um, because obviously I have my sort of presenting head on at times. But as soon as we get into the callers on the show and as soon as we start chatting to fans, it's it does feel like my, my presenter cap slips off, really. And it is more just where fans just chat into each other. You know what I mean? And if ever I'm disagreeing with someone on the show it would never be a case of me kicking them off the show because I disagree with them right your you know your your faders down don't want to listen to you everyone listen to me and what I've got to say uh, unless they say something which is you know illegal or something that we, we can't broadcast um so yeah it just feels like I'm chatting to fans and that's why I want to keep our show I really really do we will get city fans on we get United fans on obviously I'm present the show with a city fan um, and yeah, it's it's it, there's there's not really too much in it that, that's different. I guess the only differences are we'd have things like features and you know games and little prizes and stuff. But other than that, mate, it's it's very very similar. I do think, and I think I I I, I love doing our show. Um, and I think that if anyone's into you know the old sort of style of fan channel content, then our show is a great place to 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 get that. Yeah, I, I'd agree, and, and having been on it, I'd probably back that up. It is a lot like that. Um, we're, we're coming towards the end of the podcast, so I'll get into our last couple of questions. But before that, um, you mentioned that where you are at the minute, there's a lot more you could do to further go. What is that ladder sort of like? So what's be below you almost, below your position, and what's above you? What is that sort of pathway like? Yeah, yeah. Um... Yeah, it's weird. So, uh, so I start. I guess you sort of. I'm not even going to include my academic sort of grades in this because I genuinely don't think they've made any impact at all on what I've done. Um, so I'm not even going to go into that. I didn't do too bad. I didn't do too good either. But um, so I'd start with like I, I started on internet radio, went into community radio, like in studio community radio, um, internships work experience, sort of demoing my show, practicing my skill, you know, honing my craft, um, going into sort of any any paid job in radio. Then from there, presenting maybe on a lesser scale and then just sort of building your way up until you find your, your perfect show. And that's where I am. I guess the next step up from here for me personally, and maybe this isn't seen as a step up to some, but this is just my own personal uh, my, what I want I do want to do more non-sport stuff because that's what I used to do and I'm, I'm, people see me as a sports guy and as a football guy but I'm generally more a music guy actually and I'm, I'm, I used to be you know well I still am obviously before COVID I used to be at gigs every other weekend in town and going to live music wherever I could find it and you know I'm a big music buff really at times but so so it's more sort of getting into that and giving that a go as well now and um I guess the next step up for me, I don't know what the chances of this are ever happening, but it will be a daytime slot 
at a radio at, at a radio station any radio station i guess really but um particularly at radio manchester that'll be awesome because then you've got the next step of potentially radio one or you know something like that so um the absolute dream like the absolute top of the ladder for me is getting to radio one if, if i do a show yeah. on radio one fucking don't i fucking kill me tomorrow i'm happy um, but i like, like genuinely at the minute it's more just uh my, my next goal is doing more non uh, non-football stuff and doing some daytime radio yeah, fair enough. I mean, you've taken the next question off of me there, which was what's the what's the big dream? So you've answered that. There it is. Um, Prime so Minister. I guess I guess the fi- <laughs> I guess the final question would be, where do you see yourself in ten years? Then, so you've said you know more non-sport stuff. In ten years, where do you think you'd like to be? Dead. <laughs> <laughs> How old will I be in ten years? Thirty-five. Fucking <laughs> hell, that's well old. Ah, oh, bollocks. I don't know. Well, do, do, you reckon, do you reckon the Earth will still be above sea level in ten years' time, or will we all be dead? <laughs> well, we're getting oh, we're getting into some weird territory. No, now. mate. I want to bring it on global warming, mate. Newcastle will drown, the Scousers will drown, and there'll be a beach in Lim. <laughs> oh, right. You know what? On that note, on the, on the national, the world apocalypse, we'll end the podcast there. It's actually been brilliant. Thank you for joining uh, joining me on this. This is exactly why I wanted to interview you because your your personality on radio is pretty much what you are. Oh, thanks. Are now, and I think, I think that's what makes you so good at what you do. So, thank you for coming on, mate. I uh, hope you've enjoyed it. I hope you have, anyway. Of course, mate. Call anytime. Get me back on anytime. <laughs> Of course. And everyone listening, watching, wherever you're watching it, YouTube or Spotify, thank you for joining us. Make sure to subscribe, follow, like it, share it, comment, everything. Uh, Obviously, follow uh, Gaz as well on Twitter. He's radio underscore Gaz um, on Instagram as well. And obviously, where can they find you on the radio, Gaz? 6 p.m. BBC Radio Manchester on weekdays. Get on it. Thank you very much.